Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Can we just give a hand to all who've led us in worship this morning already? It's been an incredible day. Uh, man, I am, I'm just so excited about what God's doing here. And uh, if you have your Bible, stay there in Genesis chapter 3. That's what we're going to be looking at as we go through this morning. Uh, we've been talking about a worldview, a biblical worldview for the last few weeks. And here's the, the statement I want to get out as we start this morning. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. I'm just going to say that one more time so it can sink in a little bit. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. Not how you vote, not where you go to school, not what you do for a career. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. I had a seminary professor named Gordon Borer uh, who was pretty famous for saying, your view of God is the most important view you have. And to the extent that that view is out of focus, your life will be out of focus. Right? And so as we talk about focusing in on God and who he is, for Christians, the Bible is the lens through which we look to understand God and know him in relationship. And for the past few weeks, we've been talking about developing this biblical worldview, having a worldview that shows us how to look at the events that are taking place all around us, how to understand them, and how to live as a result. In fact, if you were going to define worldview, here's how we've been defining it as we go through this series. A worldview is the lens through which we view the world and we make decisions about how we're going to live. So this worldview that you carry, and having a biblical worldview means you th look at the things that are happening in the world, past, present, and even future, and you determine what's going on and what God is doing based on who he's revealed himself to be in Scripture. Uh, and for the past few weeks, we've been talking about how to develop a biblical worldview. How do we learn to use the Bible to shape how we think, how we live, uh, how we understand things, and then what we're going to do in our lives? And so that's what we've been really focusing in on. Uh, but here's what I want you to know. Everyone has a worldview. If you're above about the age of 13, you have a worldview. And every worldview requires you to live in faith to abide in that worldview. So the Christian worldview is no different than any other worldview as far as faith goes. Uh, so we live in faith. That doesn't mean that it's just blind faith. We hope. We just uh, have no evidence or proof to show what we believe is right or good. We have a Christian worldview, and while there's evidence to it, we still live in faith. Everyone does. Everyone lives in faith in some way. And so having this worldview means that we look at the things that are happening around us and try to answer the question of what's going on in our world. So last week, we addressed kind of the first question that every worldview seeks to answer. And that's the question of why are we here? Where did we come from? Right? Like those questions that most everyone in the world is trying to answer, no matter where you live in the world, what time in history you live in the world, the question is, where did we come from? How did we get here? And why are we here? What's our purpose in life? Right? And so we talked last week about the idea that there is a sovereign, eternal God who created a material world and stepped into that creation to introduce himself to everything that he created and to invite relationship to happen between himself and us, the pinnacle of his creation. On the final day, God creates man. He breathes life into humanity. And then he walks in relationship with us. 
And so we see that start to unfold, and we find that everything God made was good. In fact, when you read in Genesis 131 uh, that everything God made was good, it says God saw all that he had made. It was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So God creates everything that we know in existence, what we can see and what we can't see. He puts it all into this space of creation, and he says that is very good. Now, we look at our world today and we go, it's not very good. Like, I can look out into our world and just go, it's it's not very good. I mean, it's better today. Tennessee won last night. So it's on some level, it's better than it was the day before. But it's not good, right? Like, we can look out in the world and we can see poverty and war and disease and famine and natural disasters. And we can just look around and go, something's wrong. Something's broken. It's not very good. What happened? And that's where we come to the second question that worldviews attempt to answer. And when we think about this together, we ask this question. So what's wrong with the world? At some point between the time that God created and declared things to be very good, and now when we live in the 21st century, we can look around us and go, it's, it's not. Like there's broken components to this life. There are things that are damaged. There are things that are destroyed. There are things that are broken. It doesn't matter what worldview you have. You can look around. Nobody, atheist, agnostic, secularist, humanist, nobody is walking around and going, yeah, man, it's perfect. Like, there's nothing I would change about this. We all recognize it's broken. So the question that every worldview is asking then is, what happened? Where did things go wrong? What's wrong with this world? And that's where we get into Genesis chapter 3 that we had read for us just a few minutes ago. But it's pretty apparent when we look around the world that evil exists. And as Moses, who writes Genesis chapter 3, as he's pinning these words for the original audience, the Hebrew people, you have to remember the context in which he's giving these thoughts to the Israelites. They've just come out of 300 plus years in slavery in Egypt. They have been under the oppression and taskmaster and leadership of the Egyptians. They've been making bricks for hundreds of years. They've been forced labor, not contract labor. They're not doing anything that's being helpful toward them or payment toward them. They are forced labor. And for 350 years, they've been slaves. They know it's not good. So as Moses is writing the first chapters here. And he gets to this place where he says, and it's very good. The Israelite people are going, well, it's not now. (laughs) What happened? And then the page turns and we start to answer that question when we get into Genesis chapter three, because they had personally experienced evil. They knew something was wrong. So when you ask people where evil in the world comes from, you're going to get a myriad of answers to that question. If you were to go out today at lunch and just go table to table wherever you eat and go, hey, what's wrong with the world? Why is there evil in the world? What's broken? Why is it that way? People are going to give you all kinds of different answers. From a biblical worldview, here's how we would answer that question. If you're taking notes, I want you to see this this morning. Evil is real, and it's rebellion against God. We call it sin. Evil's real. Right? And it comes from rebellion against God. We call it sin. The Bible calls it sin. And so when we look at the world and we try to answer this question, what's wrong with the world? We would answer it, sin is what's wrong with this world. Rebellion against God and his good creation is what's wrong with this world. And so when we look at Genesis chapter 2, 
We see God give a specific location for Adam to live and a specific instruction for him to follow. Here's uh, Genesis 2, 9, and then verses 15 through 17. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then you move to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So the world that God created was good and everything in the world was made available to Adam to enjoy except for one tree. Moses even says that the tree was pleasing to the eye and it was good for food. Right, like the trees that God gave to Adam and the trees that God gave to Eve, they were pleasing to the eye, good for food. Adam could eat anything he wanted except for the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the biblical worldview says that God is sovereign. The one who created is sovereign over everything. And the one who created then gets to implement the rules by which we will live in his creation. And we have a hard time with that today. We don't like the rules that God puts in, in our lives. We kind of like to buck against the rules. We're going to do our own thing, go our own way. But if God is sovereign, if God is creator and he's good, then he's the ruler. He's the one that gets to put the laws into place. And he gets to determine what's right and what's wrong. Our question is, are we content to allow God to be over us or do we want to rule our own lives? That's really the big question. Right? Like we want to see, are we content to live as subjects to God and be under his rule, under his authority, under his command, or do we want to go our own way and do our own thing? And so the biblical answer to that question and what's revealed in Genesis is that when given the choice, we will most often choose our way. When given the choice between following God and doing what we want, we will most often choose our way. And we'll go, I don't need God to tell me what to do. I don't need God to tell me how to live. So the first question that usually comes up when we start talking about this story in Genesis chapter three that Chris and Lucy read for us just a little while ago is, why did God even put that tree in the garden in the first place? Anybody ever asked that question before? Liars. You did. All right. You go, why? I mean, why couldn't God have just gone, everything's good, everything's available, there's no restrictions, there's no limits. Why is there a tree? And the answer is, is because God has invited us into relationship with him. And that relationship is not going to be forced on you. God's going to give you choice. He's going to give you the ability to choose him and accept him, or to choose against him and reject him. He's not going to force you to love him. What kind of relationship exists where there's genuine, real love if you're forced to love the person? It doesn't exist, right? And so God desires for us to choose him. He's not going to force himself on us. And the reason God gives us free will and the ability to choose like this is because God has free will. And if you remember, we're made in his image. We carry these attributes, these principles that God operates under because God is a God of free will. God chose to create this universe. God chose to make everything that we see. God chose to give you free choice. And then when you chose against him and when Adam, our representative, the reason that you chose against God is because Adam chose against God and Adam's sin nature is passed down to all of us. 
We inherit the sin that Adam brought into the world and Eve brought into the world. The reason you choose against God is because God gave you the ability to do that. But here's what's powerful about God. Even after we rebelled against him, God still chose to love us. God still chose to move toward us and desire good for us and to bring something out of the evil that exists in the world. And so that's the rest of the story. And here's the question that God wants us to answer this morning. Is a relationship with God enough? I mean, in the garden, he provided everything Adam and Eve could ever want, and he gave it to them to eat freely. Enjoy it. Play here. Work here. Live here. Enjoy everything. This one thing is off limits. But enjoy the rest of it. And even in that, the question is, will I be enough for you? Or are you going to have to go and seek your own good somewhere outside of me? And that's the question that humanity has been wrestling with from the moment of Genesis 3. That we choose consistently that there's something better for us than God. And so that's where we come to this morning. And the first thing that I want us to see here, or the next thing I want us to see here is this, that evil is deceptive. It's deceptive. In Genesis 3, evil comes in the form of a serpent, and it attempts to deceive Adam and Eve. The serpent speaks to Eve and asks the deceptive question, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Right, like that's a deceptive question, right? Like did God say you can't eat from any of these trees? She goes, no, 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 let's listen to this exchange. Genesis 3, verses 2 through 6. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. Actually, God didn't say that. That's from something else that she created. Or you'll die. And the serpent replied to the woman, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and she ate. She also gave some of it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So the serpent deceives Eve by convincing her God is holding out on her. God has withheld goodness from you. What do you mean God said you can't eat from that tree? You're not going to die if you eat from that tree. God knows you'll be like him. There's something that God is withholding from you that he doesn't want you to have. He's not enough. This would be better. That's the deception, right? God isn't enough. He's withholding. And if God is withholding from you, guess what that means about God? He's not good. And the deception of this whole lie comes into play. In fact, did you notice the difference in what was said about Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 to describe these trees? In Genesis 2, it says, The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. When we get to Genesis chapter 3, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. The deception causes Eve to look at the fruit and see something different. All of a sudden she goes, it's not just pleasing to look at and good for food. It's also desirable for wisdom. Like there's something else attached to this fruit now that I didn't recognize before apparently. And it's better than God is. So now all of a sudden what's stirring in my heart is I want to know what that thing is that God's withholding from me. This wisdom, this knowledge that God doesn't want me to have. It's deceptive. 
And so Eve takes the fruit, and she eats it. And then Adam eats it. And I want to make sure we're clear about something this morning. There's nothing magical about the fruit. Like, she didn't eat it, and there was like magic fairy dust on it that made something happen. Like, there's nothing spiritually or physically that happens to them because of the fruit. You understand this? It's the rebellion that causes the breakdown. It's God saying, this one thing is off limits for you. I'm enough. And them going, you're not enough. I want this thing. It's the rebellion that causes the breakdown. And so as we see this unfold, we start to look at these things and the rebellion against God brought evil into their lives and into their world. Like they could have said no, right? They had choice in the matter. The serpent isn't there going, Eve, open your mouth and shove this in. Like he's not cramming it down her throat. She has choice in the matter. But the deception causes her to choose against God, against his ways. And when we think about that, Eve gets the bad rap in this whole story, right? It's like, man, Eve, if there had only not been Eve, there would have been no problem. But did you notice who was there with her that had the original command from God? Adam. Adam's deceived too. Why doesn't Adam step forward and go, Eve, wait, remember, remember what God said to us when he planted that tree there? We're not supposed to eat that. But he's deceived too. He wants the knowledge. He wants to know what God's been holding back from them. It's deceptive. But here's what Genesis is showing us. When it comes to evil, God's not the problem. We are. When it comes to evil in our world, God isn't the problem. God doesn't create evil. God allows for the existence of evil to take place, but we're the problem. We choose against God. That's the problem. And Genesis is showing us that. I, I love the movie, The Greatest Showman. Any fans out there? Love it. I love the soundtrack. I love to sing it. And so uh, when my kids were younger, we would sing that in the car all the time. And there's a song in there. One of my favorites is called Never Enough. Never Enough, right? And, and the lyric that goes with it is she, this girl sings and she goes, if all the spotlights in the world were on me. I'm just going to read these lyrics to you because I'm going to forget. All the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars that we steal from the night sky, they'll never be enough. They'll never be enough. Towers of gold, still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. It's never enough, not for me. That's, that's the lyric, right? I can have everything, and it's never enough. And when Adam and Eve are walking with God in the garden in this perfect creation, they have everything. And the serpent deceives him and goes, it's not enough. You need this. You need this one other thing in your life that God is withholding from you. God puts a tree in the garden with a rule attached to it, but he didn't force them to eat the fruit. When given a choice to follow God or be God, we'll choose ourselves over him every time. So here's what we see next. Because the lie gets exposed really fast in the story. And as we've read Genesis 3 this morning and seen that, here's what we find. Sin takes root deeply and quickly. In the story, as soon as they eat the fruit, there's this realization immediately. What is it? We're naked. There's, there's something missing now. They've been naked their whole lives, and there was no problem. In fact, it says that they were created naked, and they felt no shame. It was a good thing to be in that state. But once they ate the fruit, they realized they were uncovered. They realized now there is something missing. The thing that we were promised was going to fulfill us has actually left us with a hole inside of us because my relationship with my father has been broken. I rebelled against him. I chose against him. I am uncovered. And I'm in a state of undress. 
and I'm exposed. And all the evil and all the wickedness in the world is now known to me, and I carry it and I feel it. And so we see this take place in Adam and Eve's life. They realize they're naked. They realize they've sinned. But they also recognize that their sin causes shame. When God comes to walk with them in the garden, they hide from him. An event that used to bring them joy and satisfaction now causes despair. And God comes into the garden that day and he calls out to them. And instead of them being there where they normally are to run and meet God, what are they doing? They're hiding. And Adam says, we hid from you because we were afraid. He's never felt fear before. But now all of a sudden, because of his rebellion against God, there's fear in his life. We were afraid, so we hid. Now all of a sudden, I don't have face-to-face relationship with God. Now I've got to hide from him. The thing that I used to have in perfect harmony and relationship, now I run from. It's been distorted. It's been broken. And so we find all these things happen. What's wrong in the world? The truth about sin is that it doesn't only about breaking God's moral law. Breaking God's moral law always hurts relationship. This relationship, in breaking God's law, the relationship gets broken. Adam and Eve are now at a point where they're going, we can't be with God in his creation. And when God goes, hey, where, where are you? God hasn't lost them like their GPS tracker fell off and he's going, I don't know where they are anymore. He's going, no, this isn't a physical lostness. It's a relational lostness. Where are you? You moved. You moved out of relationship with me. What are you doing? It's where deception comes in. Sin breaks relationship with God. They're hiding instead of running to be with him. And he even says this question, and I love this in the story. He goes, hey, who told you that you were naked? And here's why I think that's so profound for God to ask that. He's going, hey, you know what? You guys used to just listen to my voice, and we walked in the cool of the day, and I taught you how to think and how to feel and how to understand and and what to be, and you used to listen to my voice. Now whose voice are you listening to? Who told you that you were naked? And for a lot of us that once walked in real good fellowship, strong fellowship with God, and maybe now you're going, you know, I don't feel close to God anymore like I once did. And I've kind of taken steps away from him. Or maybe you've rejected him altogether. Here's the truth. Ask yourself this same question. Whose voices are you listening to? Who's speaking into your life? Who's speaking into your heart? Who's informing you about how this world really works? Because we have a God who created everything and called us into relationship with him. And instead of listening to his voice, we go, well, I'm going to go find some other voices to listen to. And I can promise you, promise you, they will leave you short of where you're supposed to be. They will drag you away from a relationship with your creator, the one who loves you and has desires for you. But sin also doesn't just break our relationship with God. It breaks our relationship with one another. Here's the first thing that Adam does when God shows up. Who does he blame? Uh, He blames Eve, but in a roundabout way, he blames God. Did you check out how he said that? When God goes, hey, where are you? He goes, what happened? Did you eat the fruit that I told you not to eat? And he goes, well, the woman that you put here with me. You ever caught that before? It's the woman's fault, but you kind of did this, God. I was fine on my own. Now I don't have a rib, and I got this woman, and we're broken. And it's kind of your fault, right? What do we do every time we choose against God? We blame God. 
We blame God. That's what Adam does, and it breaks relationship with his wife. He goes, hey, she gave me some fruit, and I ate it. And then the next series of events that unfolds in Genesis is the story of their kids. Within one generation of humanity, we have a brother who kills his own brother. Adam and Eve's sons, one kills the other because he's displeased with how God responds to him, because he's jealous of his brother. And then we have murder that enters into the world. And the thing we talked about last week, that the greatest thing that we can hold on to in this life is sanctity for life for one another. The first thing that gets destroyed is life. That Cain kills his brother and life gets taken off of the planet. The thing that was made in the image of God is now something to be destroyed if I don't like what you do. And so the relationship with one another gets broken. It was creating and wreaking havoc on relationships in the garden, and it's still wreaking havoc today. But here's the third thing. Sin breaks relationship with the whole created order. There are consequences that come with our sin, even in our existence on planet Earth. The curse, the natural results of sin against God. God says, okay, Adam, here's the deal. From now on, the ground is going to produce thorns and thistles. This thing that I had told you to subdue and to create inside of this, this thing that I created and gave you permission to create, now it's going to work against you. It's not going to be easy to plant crops and to grow food and to do these different things. The earth is going to fight back. And Eve, you're going to have chain, uh, pain in childbearing. And this command that I gave you to, to fill the earth and to subdue it, now, to fill the earth is going to come with a painful proposition. And the commands that I've given you to fill the earth and to subdue it, they're going to be totally difficult now because of your rebellion against me. Our relationship with the planet gets broken. And here's what we're told in the New Testament in Romans, that the creation of God is waiting to be made new. Listen to this, Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 22. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, by the will of those who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So there's this brokenness. Our relationship with God is broken. Our relationship with one another is broken. Our relationship with the earth is broken. But here's the good news about evil and about sin. Evil is defeated. That God doesn't leave us in a state where he goes, well, sorry, guess you guys just messed up and I'm just going to leave you to your brokenness and good luck with it all. Evil is defeated. In the very moment of these things happening, God steps in and he says, here's my plan that I'm going to unfold to redeem human history, to bring you back into relationship with me. He takes Adam and Eve, and he doesn't try to dust them off and go, hey, listen, don't forget that nakedness is fine. Just go continue to be naked and feel weird about it. What does he do? He clothes them. He treats them with mercy and with tenderness. There are consequences, yes, but he moves toward them in grace. And he says, but I'm going to stay, and I'm going to create a path for you to come back to me. And that offer is extended to every last one of us. God didn't abandon us in his sinfulness. By the time we get to the New Testament, we find that he sends Jesus, his son, God in human flesh, to come and to be with us. He comes to defeat sin. He bears the guilt of sin, the shame that we all feel on his cross. 
And it says that when he rose from the dead, he came out with the keys over death and hell and the grave. And he is victorious to bring salvation and redemption into the story and into our lives. The question is, will we choose him? Because God's going to do the same thing with the cross that he did with the tree in the garden. He's going to put it in front of you, and he's going to go, you choose. Do you choose for me or against me? God will not force himself on you. He will invite you to love him and to respond to him in his love. That's the power of the gospel. And in fact, in this series, one of the things that I've been thinking about, and I haven't said yet, but I want to make sure that we communicate and express about this, is that when we talk about these kinds of things, where we go, hey, let's talk about what other people believe and what we believe, the objective and the goal is not to have enough facts and information to go out and debate people so you can win arguments. That you're not going to go to your coworker who believes differently than you, who has a different religious background than you, who thinks there is no God, who's doing all kinds of manner of crazy things in this life and go, well, let me convince you with all this truth I know. Let me share you with you all these things my pastor's been saying. Here's everything that I want you to know because you're wrong and I'm right and here's how I can prove it. Let me tell you something. That's never brought someone to Jesus. We're not supposed to go out and fight and win arguments with gospel. Here's what I love, something that Josh McDowell wrote. He once said, all the evidence in the world, and if you guys have ever seen Josh McDowell, Josh McDowell wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It's about this big. It's massive. And he writes hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of his journey from atheism to Christianity, and what he discovered along the way about things that he went, there was no way I could argue with the truth. But listen to what he says. All the evidence in the world did not bring me to Christ. What it did was get my attention. It was like I was slamming the door on God and he stuck his foot in the door with the evidence. Once I believed the Bible was true, once I believed that Christ was more than human and probably the Son of God, then and only then, did I even consider the message of the Bible? As I started to read and study the Bible, what brought me to Christ was the love of God. And then he quotes Jeremiah 31.3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. With tender kindness, I have drawn you. Church, listen to me this morning. And if you're not a follower of Jesus today, listen in. God will not force himself on you. He will give you the right to choose for him or against him. But what he will do is he will draw you with tender kindness. He will move toward you with love. In fact, the greatest act of love that we as a church could ever point to you if you're not a believer in Jesus is the cross. That we would go, if you want to know what God's all about, look at the cross. The sin that you have in your life and the punishment that you deserve was paid for by Jesus. It's already been paid for. The Bible tells us that he took the weight of all sin, of all mankind, of all time but he leaves a decision in your hands. Will you accept that gift?
or will you walk away from it and scoff at it? And so this morning, you have a choice if you're not a follower of Jesus. What are you going to do with Jesus? The world is not what it's supposed to be. It's lost and it's broken. And evil is real and evil is deceptive. And maybe you've been deceived by some things in your life that have dragged you away from God, enticed you away from God. But today I want you to hear the reality that God hasn't left you in your sin. He moves forward to defeat evil. And here's the power that we find that one day when God is going to return for us, and he's going to take everything that was broken in his creation, and the Bible tells us that he's going to recreate it in its perfect original state. And here's Revelation chapter 22. John is writing, he says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of this great street of the city, and on each side of the river stood the tree of life. And it was bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. In this new creation, God's will will be our will. And there will be this tree of life that those of us who have chosen him in this life will be with him there. And he goes, and I'm going to keep you in relationship with me with the tree of life forever. Did you know what was missing? There's no tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because you've already chosen for me. Now you're going to enjoy eternal rest and worship with me. And I'm going to take care of you. The tree that is there of life has fruit that bears itself every month. And it's for the healing of the nations. That God's going to wipe away all of our pain, all of our sin, all of our shame. And he clothes us in his righteousness. That's what you have available for yourself this morning. Is to choose to follow God. And to say, I want a relationship with him that's going to radically alter and change my life. I want to learn what it looks like to view the world through the lens of His Word and His truth. I want to stop listening to the voices that are telling me otherwise. And I want to listen to His voice. That there's good that still exists. And that He is the ultimate source of that good. Would you accept Him this morning? If you want to have a conversation with one of us about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we would love that. There's a connection card in the seats around you that have a box on it that you can check that just says, I want to know more about following Jesus. Give that to us or put it in our giving boxes. We'd love to follow up with you. Come and have a personal conversation with us this morning. Or even better yet, right now in this moment where you sit, just say, Jesus, I want you. I want you to be enough for me. And today I'm choosing from this day forward to follow you. Come into my life and change my heart. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.